Hello, Loveland. I'm Mike Meldon, and this is your Loveland Weekly Podcast. Brought to you by Gina Dubell-Smith, EXP Realty, and Stone Pillar Farm. Today we have a truly special guest with us, Chris Corbalis of Roaming Rovers. Chris brings a unique and refreshing approach to dog training, and today we're diving deep into his world of canine companionship. With years of experience in the field, Chris has a remarkable philosophy when it comes to training our furry friends. You see, Chris believes that while some dogs may need to be boarded for training, the key to true success lies in working closely with the owner and the dog in the comfort of their own home and spaces. It's all about that beautiful bond between pet and human and how it can transform both. Chris's company, Roaming Rovers, doesn't just stop at training though. They offer a menu of different training services and they also provide those essential walking and boarding services. It's like a one-stop shop for all your dog's needs. I must say, I learned a lot from my conversation with Chris. It's amazing how his insights have made me reevaluate my own relationship with my dogs. It's all about progress and success, not just for our beloved pets, but for us too. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Chris Corbalis of Roaming Rovers. Trust me, you're in for a treat. Get it? Today is Monday, October 9th, 2023. So I initially got started working with animals um, about 10, 10 and a half years ago. I was living in Chicago. Um, at that time, I had been doing graphic design work and uh, t-shirt design for a company in uh, Wrigleyville. And I kind of hit that point where it just was like, I was there was the owners and then right below me. So I kind of left and I was already doing freelance graphic work and um, other things, photography and stuff on the side. So I wanted to kind of just supplement a little bit more income. I've always loved working with animals and I've also loved working with children. But I was like, uh, I paid off all my college tuition and loans and stuff like that. So I was like, let me go with animals. So I just um, found a local dog walking company and I started working with them about 20, 25 hours a week, which is great because the, actually the owner of the company was from the same place that I was, Staten Island, New York in New York City. So that was kind of like, oh my gosh, when you meet another person in a different city, it's almost like meeting an American in Europe. You're like, exactly. oh my gosh, hi. <laughs> so that was really, really great because I got to do work with a lot of different breeds and um, learn quite a bit about different characteristic traits and, uh, you know, genetics and things like that, but also do a little bit of caretaking. And then eventually, you know, my girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife, we ended up <clears throat> leaving Chicago and ultimately moving upstate, uh, upstate New York rather. So we had two dogs at that time. So I started dabbling in training here and there, but, um, it really wasn't until the pandemic, the tail end of the pandemic where, uh, my wife and I were living in upstate New York. We were just kind of wanting to get out of New York in general. She's from Ohio originally, and I had been back many times in the, you know, probably at that point, eight years we had been together. So I was ready up for a change. So we decided to like, yeah, let's move to Ohio. And then with the pandemic and everything, we had already decided we're going to just take a few months off after we had moved um, and just take our time easing back into it. So I felt this was like a really perfect time to 
it was really just a clean slate for me personally, where I wasn't really married to any one job or anything like that. I was in a new state, living in a new place. So um, I reached out to a local um, daycare and boarding place in in Loveland. And so that's where I really kind of dove in. And then through there, I ended up working uh, for a local dog training franchise, just as a kennel tech, taking care of the dogs. Then I eventually moved up, became a trainer from there. And then um, I was pretty much, boom, I was a trainer there. But we, I primarily focused on doing board and trains. So someone who has behavioral issues with their dog, they would bring their dog to us. We would keep them at the facility for anywhere from two to four weeks. Each week or so, you know, we would uh, touch base back with the owner, show them where we are uh, in terms of what we've been working towards the training goals. Then we take the dog back to the facility. And then all in all, um, after the time is done, bring the dog back. And then that's where my issue really kind of lied because I'm with the dog 85, 90% of the time. Right. And then I'm the owner was I'm really just with them for about the last 10% of just catching them up and showing them. So that's where I felt like the disconnect could really kind of hit the surface where I'm doing my best to get the dog as close to a hundred percent as possible or what I thought would be a realistic like um, goal for their training goals. And then we bring the dog home. I start to, you know, give the, give the driving the, the, the wheel to the owner essentially. And then I'm catching them up and working with them every day. The owner is trying to reach where the dog is. The dog is slowly getting more comfortable right. going back home. Yeah. So after a couple of weeks where the dog was at, let's say 94%. Now maybe they're at 78% and then it kind of ebbs and flows. And with the, you know, with the board and train structure. Now, wait, let me stop you. Yeah. When you say percentage, Mm-hmm. You're talking about how much they're hitting the goals. That yeah. You're so like when when they came in versus where they are. Like obviously you're always shooting for a hundred percent. It's never going mm-hmm. to be a hundred percent. But I'm trying to get them as close to. So you get them to the hundred, then you bring in the owner, mm-hmm. and then you see actually the owner learning, but the dog's actually coming down again. Yeah, and that can because essentially because after about a week of doing a board and train, I'll schedule a uh, a mid session with the owner. And then they would either come to the facility or I would go to their home. I kind of will go over the basics of like, this is where we've been so far. You take the wheel a little bit, see how it feels and everything like that. But those mid-sessions really are only 60 to 90 minutes after I've worked with that dog for seven, eight days in a row for three, four sessions at a time. And each session can be 30 minutes. So I put already put in a lot of hours on top of the other um, pieces of structure that we're implementing along the way, whether it's crate time or just like learning how to stay on place and watch while I work other dogs and just overall instilling calmness and a new mindset, essentially. So, so that, how long has this, I mean, you may not be able to answer this mm-hmm. question. Growing up, I never heard of something like this. I heard about it in the last 10 years or so. Right. Yeah. Is it a newer type of, is it a newer model? I can't necessarily pinpoint when it started, but I would definitely say you know, same thing in those last, like for me personally, five, six years or so, board and trainers definitely become more common. Getting popular. Yeah. And I do think it is beneficial for dogs that have serious behavioral issues, talking about like really high dog reactivity where it borderlines aggression to human aggression. Like I've worked with dogs before where they come in wearing a muzzle and I don't take the muzzle off until day five because I only have one chance to take that muzzle off and put it back on. So I need to establish trust, um, establish respect, start to 
you know, get the, the inklings of love a little bit. And then I really read the dog's body language. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of different tells that really I'm like, okay, I think I can do it right now. And then take it off. And then you get to see that moment and um, build off of that from there. But your company's different than this, though, right? Yes, correct. So that, I do believe, is extreme. I think it is necessary for a certain percentage of dogs' aggression. It helps to kind of reset because in that time, you're also resetting the owners. And that's really what I'm doing in general. The same as board and trains, but uh, the in the board and train model, the dogs truly need an entire reset. Um, and I do feel like it does work so a lot of where I learned there I mean it was great because I dealt with a lot of I came in with aggressive dogs being thrown at me already so I was already thrown into that fire which is great so now what I do is uh, since I've kind of seen those disconnects after the dogs have been home or owners eventually sometimes owners just think like Oh, my dog's trained, and it's right. like it's like anything. It's 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 a marathon, and, and a lot sprint. of them want that. That yeah, they think I'm giving it away, yeah, and I'm going to get this new dog here that I have to work with minimally because you did all the work. But right. that's not the case. Yeah, and that's not always the case. You know, there are boarding trains where I have uh, friends or clients where they have another dog where they've done a boarding train for multiple months, and that's where you wow. see like a real, real, real difference. Sure. Um, it's almost like a boarding school essentially. But what I do is I am working with the owner so the owner and the dog are making progress in real time at the same time and what i'm also doing is you know i'm training the dog but i'm training the owner a lot more um because a lot of the things that i encounter are just you know the dog is reading the situation incorrectly where maybe like when i i'm thinking of one particular dog where i walk into the house uh, the house and the dog immediately has to growl and take over the situation because the owners aren't being assertive enough or whatever the situation is a lot of it is just reset resetting the mentality and the mindset of the owner and kind of showing the dog is like hey you don't have to behave like that i've got this it's under control so i kind of bring more clarity to the relationship and kind of the hierarchy it's not that the dog is below the human it's just like they're the co-pilot the human, the owners, any handler, they're the, you know, first in charge, captain of the ship, whatever you want to call it, <clears throat> the dog next in line. Um, so I really start to bring clarity to those relationships in general. Structure is huge. Um, if a, dogs are task driven by nature. So if we don't give them a job, they will make a job for themselves. So if you are, if you have a dog that's reactive for whatever reason, and then um, you're like, yeah, I don't know why it does this. But then you re- over time, I come in, I'll do a meet and greet with a, uh, you know, a family. And I'm like, does your dog always sit at the window and wait? Because that's their job. When Amazon comes, barking, barking, Amazon, they don't, they hear the dog, they hear it all day. They're just there, scan the package, they go back, get in the truck, and then they leave. And the dog's like, don't worry, guys, I, I told them to leave. Job. That's the job. So same thing with sometimes with, you know, Invisible fences. They're a great idea, but sometimes left unattended, the dog's going to create a job. The dog's going to know where that barrier is. So it can just, so it sees a person, a kid on a bike, someone skateboarding, a jogger, person with another dog. They may run right up to the very end and bark at you the entire time while you walk (laughs) by. and, And then that is. Imagine you're walking by and someone's just yelling at you from their front porch. And you're like, I don't, this is kind of boiling my blood right now right so if you have a dog that's antagonizing you and your dog and then you start to notice a behavioral shift in your dog on leash those are those types of things where um 
relationships, um, holding your dog accountable, like that's where I come in. I, I tell clients this all the time, like your backyard is not a babysitter. So I, I have a lot of um, clients where they may share a backyard. So, and that other family has a dog as well. So then there's two dogs running the fence and it can cause a rift between neighbors. That's because I, I, I understand why, because people want to just be able to let their dog out and go potty and whatever else. But it's like sooner or later, that's not enough for your dog. They need mental stimulation. They need um, physical stimulation as well. And I mean, if you leave a dog in the backyard, it's very rare that you're going to just see your dog doing laps like a kid practicing like basketball practice or something like that you know that's why so my whole philosophy and um in general how i train is relationship building and engagement so if you have a dog with behavioral issues such as reactivity or resource guarding the list goes on i want to do my absolute best to build the best possible relationship for you and your dog so over time there is that saying don't bite the hand that feeds you so hopefully if you're hand feeding your dogs their meals while you're out doing training sessions, maybe they won't be like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to turn around and flip a switch on you in general. If there is a particular situation where those, you know, training aspects aren't working, there may, you know, there may be other dynamics at play that, you know, we have to dig deeper in general. So, but ultimately, how, first and foremost, I, my goal is to strengthen the relationship between the owner and the dog because the less, the less likely walking feels like a chore for an owner, the more likely you're going to go, the dog's going to go on more walks. More walks equals more enrichment and more fulfillment. A happier dog is going to be a calmer dog. So, and, and, um, and I really have seen great results. More people who put in that time with the dogs, you're just, you're going to have a best bud for a long, long time. Yeah, I, I know people specifically in Loveland that I've talked to that have paid a lot of money for these boarding things, three weeks or, mm-hmm. or more, thousands and thousands of dollars, and then they get home. And I think, like you said, they they got trained, but then when they get home, they don't feel like it's the same. They feel like they've lost it, forget mm-hmm. about it. And then they, they've told me they just quit, you know, mm-hmm. almost like that waste of time because they're just like, I didn't feel like I was doing it right, like they taught me and blah, blah, blah. So, and they're like, well how, well, how can I go? I think you're reaching a need that you saw while you were doing that process for so long because I don't know much about it but I've seen this this need out there and I can't tell you too I have two dogs at home so many things you've just mentioned (laughs) I'm like oh my gosh oh my I mean lights are going off in my head like I got I have some work to do yeah so that's really where I feel like has been a, a huge success in general with the business because I am I'm able to show in real time the difference that can be made with engagement and um, building and strengthening the relationships between the owners and their dogs. And, um, and how the whole thing works is, you know, each training session that I do, I have two different training programs, a six week on leash training program and a seven week off leash training program. But each session is about an hour long. Wherever we end with each session, I will give you homework. So that homework essentially helps you I'm handing that torch back to you. You keep it lit until our next session starts again. Right. And that homework is going to hopefully continue to move the needle closer to where our training goal was. Now that just not, does not mean like, okay, see you next time or whatever. I'm reaching out to you every other day. I don't want to do every day because I don't want to be a pain in the butt, but I'm also like, I'm working with a bunch of other people and I don't want it to be, I want it to be less babysitting and more like, um, a coach. 
Right. But also like someone who like lights a little fire underneath you and holds you accountable to those things because accountability is really where the dogs slip, where they're like, oh, mom and dad are slacking right here. They take an inch, they take a foot, they take a yard, and then boom, they go right back into it. So holding your dogs accountable, being consistent with those particular situations in general, really, you can start to see shifts um, fairly quickly, depending on what the overall training goals were. I don't want to like generalize everything. Each dog's needs and owner's needs are different. And every training program that I create with the clients and owners um, is customized to fit them. The first couple of weeks, we really like strip everything down and I'm a huge advocate for using the leash as a form of communication. So um, once we start to show our dogs the behaviors and encourage them to encourage those behaviors that we want to see more of in very calm settings, then we start to address those individual training goals that were listed by the owner. And then we'll start to go to busier parks. Um, if your dog is reactive around dogs, we may go to a dog park, but work outside of it. So they learn how to like keep a calm mindset while they, there are other dogs off leashing around going crazy barking, but that dog is dialed in with us and we're, um, staying engaged with one another. We may go to stores, whatever the situation is, we may work with your brother's dog who that you just want to help them socialize. I do vet visits with people, just anything that can take the edge off of it. Um, because sometimes, and this is, comes from a good place, but training and positive reinforcement, sometimes you may be reinforcing the wrong behaviors. So if you're kind of like, you tell your dog to sit and then you're like, yes, good. But then you fumble with the treat and then you go to reward and then they jump up and reward. You're just rewarded as they were doing something you didn't want to do. So like timing is essential when it comes to marking, um, the dog's behavior that you want to see more of, but it's also, um, it's a very fine line of what you're reinforcing. Like take for instance, a dog steals a sock and you're like, ah, give that back. You grab a treat and you're waving it. Yeah. They drop the sock. You give it to them. That's a bribe. Your dog steals a sock. They're going to want to steal the sock every time. Well that, or they say they steal the sock. They know, you know, they shouldn't have it, but humans, we make mistakes every day, do things we maybe we shouldn't do in general, but say they steal the sock instead of you saying, Hey, 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 I have this over here. If you've gone through training and you've worked on a recall or the come command, you say, Hey, Bentley, they look at you, come, they come to you, they sit and then they drop the sock. So what you've done is you've actually asked for a command. They've come and, and answered that command. They drop the sock. You reward that. So instead of that's a paycheck. So I want to give dogs paychecks instead of bribes. So essentially, there's a bunch of different behaviors that you can do in general that will help, um, you know, and that stealing the sock issue is a whole other thing about how not to have that happen. But that's just an inch, like where that's an example of how the um, rewarding is such a uh, fine line of what am I actually rewarding? So, um, like I said, more paychecks, less bribes. I love that. Yeah. That's cool. What do you want to add? What do you want the people to know? We got uh, two minutes. Yeah. So, I have two different training programs, a six-week on-leash program, a seven-week off-leash program. Um, I won't go into the total, total details of it, but the one thing that I do want to put out there is um, I do work very closely with local shelters. Anyone in the Cincinnati area, not just Loveland, if you have a dog that has been rescued from a local shelter, um, it could even be like maybe you lived in Indy for a while and then moved here and your dog was rescued from there. I offer a 20% discount off of all of my training programs. Um, I do offer payment plans. I want training to be accessible, affordable, and not something that is gate 
upkeeped by myself. Um, on my Instagram page for the business, I do my best to post as many other training videos as well. Like I said, it's not this big secret. I want more people to get excited about training their dogs and working with their dogs. The more people that are excited about doing that, the more you'll have excited dogs more excited dogs, maybe that will mean you, maybe you'll get a second dog or maybe you'll refer me where I can help someone who just rescued a dog from a local shelter. And then we just keep the cycle of, you know, love and everything, uh, just working with one another, humans and dogs. And better relationship. Yeah, exactly. And that's really what it comes down to. So, um, just, I would say just visit the business website where it's just roamingroversohio.com. Um, you can kind of, touch base on the different behavioral things that we handle in general, but it's like crate training, puppy training, reactivity. I'm really like, I'm open to do anything. I uh, at least talk to anybody. I don't say yes to everything because there are things that you should go somewhere else. Like I'm not trying to train everybody. I want everybody to get the best possible training that they need. And I have no problem referring you to another trainer that may be better, or maybe they have a facility if your dog really needs some intense help. But, um, yeah, and I just want to just try to help as many dogs and people who are like struggling in general to try to maybe just make it a little less difficult for people. For everybody. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Hey, it's Elise Knapshafer back with another Loveland High School weekly update. This week is a pretty big week as it marks the last week of our quarter, so everyone is trying to get in their final grades, final projects all the stuff to wrap up the quarter and get things in good shape. We also have Exploration Wednesday this week, which is a tool that we use to help us with college, career, future, beyond. Um, so freshmen will be off campus job shadowing. Sophomores and juniors will be at the high school taking one of four tests, the pre-ACT, PSAT, work keys, or ASAVB. Seniors will also be off campus and they have the option to job shadow, volunteer, or go on a college visit. This week for athletics, we have one volleyball game at home and two boys soccer games at home, as well as the last home football game of the year versus Winton Woods. So make sure to show up and support your Tigers. In Loveland City News name the new parking lot the city's allowing people citizens to brainstorm a name for the downtown's new parking lot coming in 2024 it's building a new 147 space parking lot in the historic downtown as many of you are aware and the city is hosting a campaign to brainstorm a name for the new lot so submit your best idea by november 28th you can submit your idea through lovinlifeloveland.com. I'll put a link on my webpage also. Entries are accepted from October 9th to November 28th. There's only one entry per person. You must be age 12 or older, and it's open to City of Loveland residents. Looking ahead in Loveland, Life Empty Bowls event. Enjoy a nice lunch for a good cause. Enjoy warm soup, fresh bread, and decadent desserts provided by local sponsors and take home a beautiful handmade pottery bowl donated from local artists, all for only $25. The proceeds benefit the Loveland Life Food Pantry. Two seatings are offered, 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. 
and 1 p.m. to 2.30 p.m. while supplies last. Each seating is limited to 150 people and the event is expected to sell out. In addition, take-home containers of soup will be available while supplies last for additional cost. This event is this Saturday, October 14th, so to make sure you get a spot, go in and register. You can register through uh, the city's Love and Life page, or I have a link on my page, www.lovelandweeklypod.com. We have something truly special here in Loveland. Thank you for listening, and have a great week. This episode was produced and engineered by On Brand Studios and recorded at Grailville, a magical place here locally like no other. Please note that the opinions expressed in the podcasts do not necessarily represent the views of our sponsors or organizations.